Welcome to HR Spark Leadership Edition. I'm your host, Bill Hicks. I'm joining you today from Ultimate Software's Connections event here in Las Vegas. And with me is Amanda Poitry. Amanda is the CHRO of FJ Management. They are privately held, focused on petroleum and retail throughout the United States. And also joining me is Stuart All. Stuart heads up both HR and IT for Wajax Limited based in Toronto, and they are an industrial component company. Thank you both for joining us today. So Stuart, thank you again for joining us. Um, I'd be curious to hear, how did you get your start into leadership? Uh, my, my initial start was uh, I got a role uh, in internal audit and uh, it, it gave me the opportunity to have a, a, a very large team in a very changing environment. And I was fortunate that somebody took a chance on me. And, and why do you think they took a chance? Uh, I had proven that I was a, a good team member and uh, worked hard and I was in the right spot at the right time. The right spot, so that's so key to everything, yeah. right? So someone took a chance on you. Uh, what did that look like? How did that become like now I'm moving into my next step? So it was, it was, it was somewhat funny because there were three spots open at the time. Um, two spots that I really wanted and the internal audit job that I didn't want. And it was a promotion. And I, I remember I say, said to the guy that gave me the promotion, can I think about it? I went home, talked to my wife and said, you know, there were these three things. And, and I didn't really want this job. She said, you're crazy. He's going to take a chance on you. It's a promotion. Why wouldn't you just take it? And I realized then that somebody was standing up for me and put me in a right spot. And it didn't really matter what the job was. And it turned out probably being one of the best jobs I ever had, despite what I thought about it. And I just want to reinforce that you said it, it was really they took a chance on you. That was a key component. And then the other one was uh, it may not have been the right job, but it took you to the right place. And, and, and the other thing was, um, it became what I made of it. So um, I took the whole internal audit stigma away and turned it into a consulting side of the business, uh, which really opened it up. And then I got other opportunities to present to the board of directors, uh, to be in key meetings, which gave me a, a real shot to, to go further ahead uh, very quickly. So you essentially, you built your brand into the business of your internal auditing and you turn it into something people hadn't expected, it sounds like. Exactly, and, and um, I, I remember one of the EVPs at the time took me aside and said, don't make me look bad. <laughs> and, because uh, that's really what internal audit can do, it can make you look bad. And I took that as a sign to say, okay, I'm not gonna make you look bad, but I'm gonna share with you what the issues are well in advance so you actually have answers to it. And, and with that, I developed a key relationship with somebody uh, which then allowed me to do other things. So I ended up actually doing internal audit, but I actually helped turn a business around uh, in my spare time and helped actually close a business, which gave me other opportunities after that. So he says, don't make me look bad. Did you, when that happened, did you feel threatened or oh, yeah. encouraged? I, I felt, <laughs> in, and he, he was uh, um, South African, so he had this really, a uh, thick drawl to him and he sort of said, you know, don't make me look bad and I'm kind of going, uh-oh, what have I got myself into? But, you know, I just turned that around and said, okay, I know what he wants. He doesn't want to look bad, but if it's something bad, then I'll tell him at, at, in advance what the issue is and we'll work on a solution. So he's prepared. It sounds to me like when that happens, it's intimidation to some extent, putting him in your shoes, not his, 
intimidation, threatening, but you showed courage. Yeah. So yeah. how did that feel like when you were, you're like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this around and be courageous. Like, what did that, what did that feel like to you? I guess I, I've always believed in something called the 24 hour rule. So I took what he said and I went back and I thought about it for 24 hours. And then I came back the next day with, okay, this is what I got to do to, in a way, keep him happy. Um, but I still have to do my job. So how do I balance doing my job and not make him look bad, which is give him the information well in advance. So he's prepared to answer to the board about what's wrong and what is he going to do about it? rather than going to a meeting and just saying, you know, you suck at this, and then he's caught off guard. So he was prepared and he had a plan, which I helped him develop to say, this is how you fix these things. All right, I love that. Whenever we have an opportunity to talk about courage, uh, I think it's any time you're in leadership, that's a, that's a key opportunity for us to focus on. Because uh, being a leader, is, it's, it's tough sometimes. People think sometimes it's a fun experience, but yeah, right, you're, yeah, you're a chuckle. Tough. People are tough. Uh, so now let's put yourself into the leadership role and you've gone through the journey of, of growing people into that. Can you walk us through when you've been that person, maybe not intimidating, but making someone be courageous? I, I mean, I have been intimidating. I, I know that. Um, you don't it, seem like an intimidating yeah, guy. Now. You seem like yeah, a great guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, courageous means for me is sitting down with somebody one-on-one -on -one and being able to say to them, what's on your mind? So, um, you know, I have an open door. Uh, I allow people to come in and talk to me, um, and I, I ask them to give me the facts, and then let's figure out a solution. So, you know, in the end, the facts always allow you to get the right, um, the right approach, and hopefully, the right decision. But you say that you might have been intimidating, but what you really said I heard was, "Hey, I'm having the tough conversation." How do you have a tough conversation with someone where they don't feel so threatened that they want to come right back? Because you talked about the 24-hour yeah. rule. You want them to come back there. How do you how do you create that environment to, to make that happen? I think your first your first thing is you got to read their body language. So their body language is going to tell you whether they're threatened, uh, whether they're not comfortable or not. And you know sometimes you just you just have to take the opportunity to say, okay, you know let's talk about it tomorrow. So give them the chance to go think about something or give them something to think about. Why don't you think about these one or two things and come back to me? You know, this one sounds good, but these two, you know, maybe we need a little, a little bit more work on. So you said earlier that you started off in an in internal audit yeah. and now you're in HR and in IT. How did you make that bridge? That's a pretty big jump. Yeah, uh, so I'm a, I'm a CPA. Um, so I'm a, a finance guy. To add that to the mix. Uh, I've, I've worked with the same uh, person uh, as my boss uh, for the last on and off 18 years in three different companies. And I've kind of, I guess I call myself a jack of all trades. So give us one tip of you're bridging out of this world of auditing and accounting in different areas and now you're going into HR. What was the biggest aha moment you had when you moved into the HR spectrum? The big aha for me wasn't HR. It was more that the business that I work with wanted somebody that wasn't just HR. They wanted somebody that could bridge the gap between HR and the business, which becomes you know finance, technology, and a whole bunch of things. So I became a bit of the glue that that bound the two things together, and wasn't just you know telling people you got to do this, you got to do that, etc. So and I and I think the other thing too is I have a really great team. So uh, they allow me to do what I do, which is to knit things together, and they do all the day-to-day -day stuff, which has been outstanding. When bridging departments, be the glue. Bring your departments together.
Take advantage of connecting different departments. Combine related processes. Let your teams do their jobs. Empower them. So one would say having all those different backgrounds could be a positive going to those experiences. But one might say, what does Stuart know about running HR? How did you handle that kind of dynamic of who's this guy yeah. syndrome? Well, in, in, in fact, um, um, I think there were some people on our board of directors that would have said, he doesn't meet the typical um, HR um, uh, background that we, he's never done HR. What does he know about HR? And uh, that was probably the first meeting. And then about six months later, I got, has, has he done this all his <laughs> life? Because he's actually Congrats. really good at it. So to me, it's anything you do, it's just common sense at the end of the day. And do you have the right people on your team? And then you've, sounds like you may have done the same thing with IT. Is it the same kind of jump over to IT? Yeah, I'm not an IT uh, uh, person. Um, I've always liked to, to dabble in IT. And, and all it really becomes is what is the business need? Where are you at in your evolution? And what are the things you need to do? In, in our case, uh, we had multiple systems, including our payroll system. We had five of everything. And our whole deal was how do you collapse them down to one? So you just took a practical approach to do that. So as we all grow in our careers, one of the biggest challenges, how do we find the next one of us or the next future leader? What do you look for? What's, give me just one thing you're looking for for that future leader. Somebody that's collaborative and can work cross-functionally. Because that sounds a lot like your background, that's, right? Cross that's who I am. Okay, yeah. perfect. Yeah. So Amanda, you're the Chief Human Resources Officer at FJ Management. Tell us a little bit more about what that job really means to okay. people. Um, I really head up all of HR uh, from cradle to grave, making sure that those uh, strategies are put in place and initiated year on year, and uh, built out a shared service model to help the HR business leaders and the subsidiary work on really talent management and human capital, building the transactional work into the shared service organization. So I want to hear more about shared services because in your business I know you have trucking and you have well work, you have retail, you have um, office leadership roles. How do you run shared services in that type of model? Well, with the uh, we have a matrix organization when it comes to human resources and uh, we make sure that the businesses have the right, right HR processes and systems that support that unique talent. So by industry, that, that workforce may look a little different, may require a little bit different interface with the leaders. So, you know, we allow some localization with policies okay, and procedures as, as needed for, you know, specific industry base, while we centralize really compliance issues and those things that are more standard to any operation. And what was the one big resistance? There may have been many big resistance, but what was the biggest resistance you had to moving to the shared services model? You know, surprisingly, uh, we had very little resistance and I think it was about the process. So, you know, we really engaged uh, the leaders in terms of, you know, what they were looking for with their own HR people and how we could take the transactional work away so that they could really be focused on the value added portion of making those businesses thrive. And then when brought the HR community uh, together, we launched a people team conference. That people team conference now happens every single year. And 
the HR peeps, as we call them, you know, it's not unusual for me to get an email saying, when's the next people team conference? So, you know, bringing them, having, having them involved from the process, from the design to the execution uh, was really the key. And I think an accolade I want to share to our audience is I've spent time with you and in your leadership team. Uh, I think it's also the tone from the top. You know, it feels like you run a, a the organization's got a great culture around that. And, and, and I would also probably comment that I would think that probably helps makes a big difference for folks that are trying to move to a shared services model. You had a unified direction. Yeah. Is that a fair statement? You, you are spot on. I think the direction from the top to this day uh, you know, that message and that uh, sponsorship for that model is completely, you know, accepted by the workforce and they have so much respect for, you know, the leadership of the company that um, I think that was absolutely key. Well, we heard Stuart's big break into the business. What was your break? How did you go from <laughs> providing individual work out there to becoming a leader? Well, I, I had the good fortune of uh, starting my career in a two and a half billion dollar startup. So, and I was 20 some nothing, fearless. <laughs> uh, but I was able to learn from some of the best business leaders. But on top of that, uh, because of the size of the startup, uh, I also had some of the best experts in the field of HR across the globe to, work, to learn from. So I literally started when there was dirt on the ground and we had to build everything from recruiting to retention. And with a highly technical, technical highly specialized uh, capability, and in some cases we had to recruit globally. So, you know, setting up a recruiting system, a relocation system, your compensation, total rewards, to attract that kind of base, and then to make sure that we retain that talent over time. They're so specialized that obviously retention absolutely paramount right so I I just was in a right place at the right time took advantage of the Sounds learning uh -huh. and um, and then uh, ended up taking on more responsibility globally uh, and used a lot of what I had learned in that startup to understand how to operate in a global environment well and I just kind of want to paraphrase what I heard you say is that you lived that journey but what I heard in that journey is you were in a, a growth business there was a lot of change. Sounds like you did a great job of making change happen and you got recognized. Is that a fair? That's absolutely right. And, and I love change and um, you know, I think so much progress can be made with change. So um, yeah, you take, you take it, you run with it and you deliver. You deliver and I think that's a key. And then what was that first role that you jumped into as it a was a, 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 It was a human resource manager position, a, a strong generalist background, so um, we didn't have operational excellence in that day. That came later. <laughs> <laughs> so um, just really built out my generalist skills, um, you know, with those startups, learning every facet of HR and, uh, and including, you know, the legal side, the uh, labor and employee relations side, and then ultimately the global side. So a little different, we heard Stuart talk about, hey, he was a, a wide range of experiences helped him be that leadership role. You came from, I'm strong in HR, and I moved my way up. So really helping us identify there's two different ways to make mm -hmm. that migration occur. So now you're a leader, what do you look for in future leaders? Uh, you know, I think 
I'm not sure it's any different than yesteryear, right? Someone that collabor can collaborate. I think um, you know the best leaders build a strong team under them. I, I really think the CEO and the chairman of the board's role is to be out on the horizon five plus years past, you know, and letting the executive team really run a three to five year plan. So building a really strong team, uh, having trust and confidence in that team so that you really can look at the landscape out there and change the industry if that's what needs to happen. So what's really helped you, it sounds like, is having that three to five year executive vision laid out and then it allows you to correlate that down into the business. Absolutely. Keys to successful leadership. Build strong teams. Trust your teams to execute on the vision. Keep an eye on the horizon and always ensure the vision is aligned. So if you could share something with our audience around the one thing you, you want out of a great future leader, what would that be? Be credible. Credible, okay. Be authentic. Authentic. Be inspiring. Inspiring. And have courage. Courage. No, those are all great things. So uh, anything you can do around courage, being credible, being real. Being real. So we all look to be inspired. So can you share with us somebody who's, who's inspired you? Who's a hero to you? Well, I, I've had so many in my career, but there's one moment that really stands out. And even thinking about it now, it just sends sunshine through my body. There was um, an operational leader I worked for in Atlanta, Georgia. And he took so much personal responsibility into giving his direct reports, their performance reviews. He left me with this personal note of quotations from my coworkers on things that they enjoyed about me or that they, they thought were very positive. And I left that meeting walking on air. And so I always think about him when I'm doing a review because I think it was just an amazing process. Amanda, thank you again for joining us. Stuart, it was a pleasure. Thank you again for joining us on HR Spark Leadership Edition. I'll see you next time.